Yeah, anyway, uh, here's Wonderwall. Yeah, Ripper Terror. Alright, mate, you're right. I've had a bloody guff. The Big Stiff Podcast. You guys obviously have done your homework, which is really, really important. I've enjoyed this totally. And hopefully you'll go on the bigger and bigger and better things because you're a pair of great guys. Welcome back to another episode of the Big Stiff Podcast. I'm Roscoe, joined by Scotty Baldwin. How are you, mate? Good, mate. You sound fucking sexual there. What's going on? <laughs> um, I'm aroused today. I'm very yeah, aroused. Yeah. Why is yeah. that? We've just got another Ironman on, champion, Matty Pearl. You there, mate? I'm here. I'm here, but I'm in off-season, so it's not that arousing at the moment. <laughs> oh, that's what they all say. Yeah. So what do you got? Like, you must have, like, twelve a 12-pack 12 at the moment instead of, like, a full <laughs> carton, usually? 12-pack of nuggets at Macca's, that's the idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Same as me. So good. So for you folks who don't know of Matty, um, at 32 years of age, Matty Pill's the oldest competitor to take the surf in the 2021 Nutri-Grain Series, but this season nine man veteran still has a thing to do to teach the younger competitors. Pool is entering his 14th. Year as a professional lineman has uh, finished a series in the top four eight times over this period. Wow, he has raced uh, his seven race wins next to his name and is also the 2016 2017 Ironman champion. Maddie is also a winner of the prestigious 2014 Molokai to Oahu paddleboard champion. Wow, that was a bit of a, a riddle with the uh, the Hawaii <laughs> names, but welcome, Maddie. What a career! Yeah, thank you. Thank you. It's uh it's been long, that's for sure. More yeah. than half my career, half my life. <laughs> so um we're just gonna ask a couple of would you rather questions, uh Maddie, um, just to get to know you a little bit better. So we get Sorry. stuck in. Find kids in the background. There's one's just taking a spill down the stairs. I could see it out of the corner of my eye. I was trying to That's all right. We're all living in tough times at the moment. Yeah, that's all right. That's, that's no drums at all. Bit of this podcast realm, there's absolute chaos going on. <laughs> Is he all right? I think he's all right. Yeah, he's, he's all right. Good. Yeah. Those little kids are rubber balls, bouncy balls. They're made of rubber, mate. They're all good. <laughs> Not my chalk bones. If I took a trip down those stairs, I'd be in uh, crutches for six weeks. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the weird one. Uh, would you rather have finger-sized nipples or nipple-sized fingers? Oh, that's weird. Finger size yeah. nipples. Finger size yeah. nipples. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Out of uh, James Bond, Jason Bourne, and John Wick, who's the one you wouldn't want to be hunting you down to kill you? Oh, Jason Bourne for sure. Yeah, I, my I'm wife said the one. same. Yeah, yeah. fucking oath, sniper bastard. He he get you from anywhere. Yeah. So, the one that like messes around with you for a little bit, like lets you think you get away, and then just messes you up real bad. Yeah, yeah, hundred yeah, yeah. percent. I love all three of them, though. Mm. <laughs> Would you rather sing karaoke or public speaking in front of a thousand people? Um, I'd be, I, I'd prefer to do public speaking unless I had six schooners under my belt. Then it's karaoke. <laughs> what would you sing? I'd rather, I'd rather do um, public speaking for sure. I hate the sound of my own yeah. voice. It's terrific. I'm What's it? What's your beverage of choice? Um, beers. Uh, let's see. I love the XPA Bolter. 
Lovely. Ooh, nice. yes. Local there to you on the Gold Coast. How good? Mm. Yeah, that's it. We're 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 out of restrictions, so we're still um able to get down to Burley Pub or get down to the pub and enjoy is <laughs> which is which is nice. I reckon I'd be on something a little bit more dark and angry if I was down in New South Wales like you. <laughs> Absolutely. Just or something. Uh, yeah, I agree. I'm in Newey at the moment, New South Wales at the moment. It's absolute shambles, mate. We just uh, heard we're about 43 days away from that 70 to 80 percent vaccination rate. So, and then apparently they're opening up pubs, which I'm dying for. So, yeah. dying for a beer. Um, which celebrity would you? Oh, would play you in a movie? I'm going to say Tom Hardy. Ooh, nice. yes. Yes, I can absolutely. see that too. Yes, yeah, so can I. Absolutely. <laughs> Wishful thinking from my behalf, but um, <laughs> <laughs> favorite movie start with Nicolas Cage, I reckon. Ooh, Nicolas Cage oh, Nicholas Cage is cracker, absolutely cracker um, actor there. Favorite movie? Um, favorite movie? Oh, I'd probably say Law Abiding Citizen. I've watched it so many times. I now doesn't, but it's still yeah. it's an absolute cracker. Yeah, awesome. for sure. So. Maddie, um, tell us about your childhood. Um, how old were you when you uh, started surf lifesaving, and um, how did you get into the sport? Yeah, I grew up on the northern beaches in Sydney, so I grew up in Kelco. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. My old man loved surfing, and we're always down the beaches, a family. So I was kind of always just pushing the limits in when I was surfing and swimming. I think I gave mum a heart attack a million times over. So. Obviously, they pushed me into nippers and surf life saving so I could learn how to sort of read the swell, read the um, ocean and, and hopefully not drown out there. So, um, But I was always sort of – I did, I played a lot of sports growing up. So I did, you know, yeah. I did rugby, NRL, soccer, played, did surf life saving and I did a lot of surfing comps as well. So um, I definitely was more fitness endurance space sort of thing and I guess took a shining to the surf life saving Ironman racing and then at about – 16 or 17 that was when i pretty much um you know pumped the brakes on all the other sports and and picked um ironman racing and that was probably where i was best suited and, and had the most amount of passion as well so i'm um, pretty happy i made that decision and yeah here we are 15 years later going into my 15th year in the ironman series this summer so looking forward to it were you quite so, were you quite a good footy player i was actually all right at a young age i was um good at nrl i got in the we won the our grand final two years in a row, 13s and 14s, and I got yeah, match in the under 14s. I was always pretty pumped with that, but I was pretty skinny and, and just tall. So when you're like that age, I think everyone goes all right. Um, yeah, and then yeah, the mean, I didn't, I actually, um, I'm quite tall and like 6'4 and 92 kilos now, but pretty mm. much through high school, I was one of the last to sort of have that growth spurt. So I was, I was mm. actually quite small and short. so um in high school i would have got messed up if i was still trying to play competitive footy but mm. yeah you guys Roscoe. mate so you're 18 you're about to find out you made into nutri-grain ironman series what was going through your head and how emotional was it at the time um yeah i, I was pretty naturally sort of blessed with with sort of um not having to work super hard or train super hard and, and managed to sort of race or right just on I guess more sort of natural talent so I won the junior Australian Ironman title over in Perth in maybe 2006 for memory something wow. around 
And um, that gave me an automatic qualification into the professional Nutrigrain series. So oh. I, um, I, I went from being like a little um, big fish in little pond to a little fish in a big pond and kind of thought natural talent was going to get me through and I got absolutely smoked in my first season <laughs> in the series. So I, I fast learned the, the value of training hard and working hard and that it's yeah. going to take a lot more than just natural talent. So I put my head down and um, went real hard that, that off-season and um, actually went from second last in the my first year in the series. The, the very next season as a 19-year-old, I won a round at Coolum and I um, finished third overall in the Ironman series. So I was 19 and finished third in, um, overall in, in my second year in the series. So... Um, yeah, and then and then I had a couple more shockers. There, I was I was on a bit of a roller coaster for the next sort of two or three years. I just have a good season, shit season, back and forth. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, I, I guess I just learned to I developed a bit more consistency through my racing because I've got a bit of a short attention span, as most people sort of <laughs> quite aware of. So I was like, either if I was, I'd either race really, really good or really, really shit. So it was one or the other. I had to learn the consistency as well. Well, that's a yeah, yeah. That's just uh, all part of growing up. But um, going going back to those early days, did anyone else come through with you in that um, in those early younger ages that uh that that made it as well? Yeah, well, Ali Day and Kendrick Louie were also okay. Wow, big names. One one, uh, one year below me, or two one or two years below me. I can't remember now. I think Kendrick was only one age group below me, and Ali might have been two. I can't remember. But um, they're still the you know running around and then i mean ali's an incredible athlete he's just yeah he's, he's so dedicated so driven he just um i don't think he's had a carb since 2006 so he's it's pretty evident Jesus. yeah bev said the same thing he's like yeah he's he's the one that he's set the benchmark at um, yeah he's professionalism real discipline real driven sort of athlete um yeah doesn't doesn't miss a session doesn't um leave one stone unturned so he he's racing really good at the moment it has for years you know so i guess yep. he's racing awards but um yeah yeah also a really strong tough racer as well and and bevy's really good now but he kind of came on the scene a little bit later he grew up in tassie so yeah. um his skills weren't quite there until he sort of really moved up the to queensland and then he he, he came along in leaps and bounds quite quick mm. talking about um training now we've we've spoken to bevy as well and the training that you guys do is fucking unbelievable. Um, so many Ks, plenty of Ks in the water. Can you tell us about your training regime a little bit? Yeah, it's um, it's intense. As I mean, as I sort of said, I've done it for so long now. I mean, I was doing it since I was probably about 17 or 18, and then 18 I made the series. So it's sort of 15, 16 years worth of just huge... Yeah volume and quantity of sessions in in a week we are we're in the pool swimming from 5 30 to 7 four mornings a week so usually that's monday tuesday thursday friday we're at uh, my aquatic center there we're covering anywhere from four to six kilometers uh, of an afternoon we're at our surf club so i'm on contracted with northcliff surf club and we're training at four o'clock of an afternoon on boards and skis and then usually during the daytime, we're doing either a running session or a gym session, depending on what day it is and, and also the time of the year. So, but on top of that, the, the bigger sessions that where we tie it all in together is Wednesday morning and Saturday morning, we do our Ironman session. So that's where we literally tie in all four disciplines. So we've got the swim, the board, the ski, and the running. So Wednesday, Jesus. Saturday, 
are priority sessions and then all the other ones are just basically volume and um k's especially in pre-season now we're just trying to really just build a big base fitness so that in summer you can really shorten it up focus on specificity and things like that and really sort of bring the sprint back into your own that's phenomenal. how, how, how long is your pre-season yeah my pre-season's a little bit longer at the moment just because yep. sorry tammy's just laughing at me no nah, that's so good <laughs> <laughs> hey tammy <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, my preseason this year is a little bit longer just because I'm trying to really um, just peak at the right time. I mean, yeah. normally all the other boys like Bevy and Ali Day and all that, they'll be training for the Cool and Gatter Gold, which will be, I mean, pending COVID things, they're trying to push it back a little bit further now, but looks likely it'll be in November. Yeah. The short course sprint season stuff, summer stuff, looks like it'll be around December through to March, April now. So. I'm really trying to just um, focus on the short sprint stuff um, and then really wind it up so that I'm peaking right on December. Um, I guess, you know, for many different reasons, age, um, you know, I've I've got a lot of experience and things as well. I've I've already got a big base fitness from 15 years of doing it and obviously motivation is hard to come by for me when you've been in the sport for so long. So if I can get myself to the start line... Injury-free, super fit, but just ready to go. I think that's when I'm, I'm most dangerous. Yeah, so so we've um, interviewed a, a fair few NRL players and they've spoken about army camps and all that type of shit in yeah. uh, pre-seasons. Have you ever done something like that, like an army camp or anything like that? Oh, that... really, no. I mean... No? No. Is it more individual base or do you yeah. feel like that team environment? I've done, yeah, not pre-season stuff with clubs mm. because... Yeah, we, we do race individually. Um, I mean, there's two parts to our sport. When we race in the professional series or um, the summer surf series, we're racing individually for ourselves. But when we're racing at, say, um, Australian titles, state titles, or even the world titles, we're racing for our yeah. clubs. And that's a comp- um, composition of both individual racing and teams racing for the club. So, um for the most part, I've been an individual racer, so we do all our pre-season training together, but I've, I've never really done any of the boot campy sort of stuff. It's yeah, okay. like laps and lifting morale for the team. Mm. No worries. So talking about sponsorship, I know it's pretty hard in an individual sport. Um, how, how early did you get your sponsors? Um, and obviously, you're a Red Bull athlete now. Um, what type of doors did they open for you and how did they help your career? Yeah, well, um, I'm not with Red Bull anymore. With, with that, okay. um, contract ended in end of 2020 and then we sort of okay. went separate ways for a number of different reasons, I guess. Um, for me, I, f- I felt that the the timing was right to go separate ways. I've been there for 11 years with Red Bull. Wow. Um, it, was, it was incredible. Such a good brand to be a part of and be involved with. But there's also so much expectation and demand on yourself when you're with a company like that. Um, they expect yeah. you to win and nothing else. And for me, I was looking and being presented with so many other sort of different opportunities in life, whether that be sort of going into my restaurant or if I wanted to go on trips or holidays or, you know, take a weekend off and go partying. Not like a, maybe Dennis Rodman <laughs> or Ben that, but, you know, there's a little bit, you get a little bit more leeway. Yeah, with yeah, your yeah. Um, got certain brands and companies and sponsors around you, you get a little bit more freedom to sort of um, be exactly who you are and, and, and they want to support that. So, you know, it's, it was a bit of a to and fro, but, yeah, we we, we, we went separate ways um, in yeah. 2020, but 
I, I guess, as you sort of asked, um, yeah, being a part with a, a company like that was incredible. It just really launched my career. So I signed with Kellogg's when I was 19 years old and I signed wow. with Red Bull when I was 20 or 21. So it was, uh, and I signed with also Reebok when I was Reebok. about 10 or five and I was with them for about six or seven years. So I had three really good supporting sponsors um, and now I'm very fortunate. I'm actually looked after with by Shoreham Partners, um, Engine Swim and athletic sports as well so i've got yeah. a few really really good sponsors now that are on board and supporting me with this next phase or chapter of my um yep. career racing geez how good's that um so now now you're based on the gold coast uh, having lived in sydney how has that helped you over the past decade yeah i mean in terms of our sport and racing and training living on the gold coast is a huge advantage um i mean as you boys know it's freezing down in sydney and certainly yeah. Sorry, but, um, <laughs> yeah, in winter yeah. so it just makes it really yeah. hard to put in a good off-season base or pre-season base i mean um I, as i said i am doing it a lot shorter this season but even still i've been back the last sort of two or three weeks really ramping mm. it up and no doubt the water temps down there or even the wind chill factor in new south wales or manly where i used to train would be freezing this time of year so um there's some yeah tough boys down there that, that guts it out and stay in sydney and, and they still race really damn well um through it come summertime but for me moving to the gold coast was no brainer um and i love i love the gold coast i love the lifestyle up here mm. um yeah I, i've got a really good sort of i've set up a really good base for myself here yeah so in 2016 2017 you set out to fulfill your childhood dream win the Nutri-Grain Ironman series. You did it, mate. How bloody good. What was the feeling like um, achieving that one goal that you've just been working so hard for for so long? Yeah, it was it was, um, it was insane. It was kind of like that one moment that you didn't even know was ever going to happen sort of, you know, for, for so long. It was such a – even the way the whole story played out, it was actually so um, – in, insane so to cut a long story short when as i said when i finished that second season i ended up third overall and i won a round and there was a lot of sort of hype and expectation around me i signed with nutrigrain i was 19 years old everybody was kind of like oh he's going to come out and win a series in the next couple of years for sure and um it just didn't happen you know I, I went so close so many times the closest i went was actually 2011 the the series that i raced with the pink hair I um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was leading the series halfway through, and I, I won the round at Bondi round two, and I went out, I went out partying the night after Bondi, and um, I ended up getting really sick, and we had the third round of the series at Coolum two weeks later, and I just was just really sick, and I was leading the <laughs> alcohol poisoning. I ended up like fifteenth or fourteenth, and um, just pretty much put myself out of the the title race, and. Ended up having another two really good races at the back end of that. And I finished second overall in the series and lost by one point to Shannon. So um, mm. to, 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 to help you understand how bittersweet that was, although I finished second in the series, which was awesome, only one point behind Shannon, my results in that series was like a third, a first, a 15th, a third and a fourth. So like, even if I had have got, like, even if I had just, maybe not gone partying and, and got like a sixth or a seventh at that um third round I would have oh, had a pretty yeah. good lead overall in the series but so <laughs> I kind of let let the um that one slip through to the keeper. 
And um, and then it was a couple of years after that where I was like, oh, that might have been my one opportunity to win. <laughs> so it was um, going into that series, I honestly was starting to believe that week. I can remember distinctly thinking like, I think I'm past my best. Like, I think I'm, I kind of had missed that opportunity. I know that I'm still winning. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, but you're kind of like, it would have been maybe, you know, 10, 11, maybe even 12 years in the series at that point, and it just hadn't happened. So I was like, oh, maybe it's just not going to happen. And um, long story short, we raced that whole weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We got down to the final, the race on the Sunday. So after the, and me and Shannon were locked in the point score. So basically, one race to go, whoever wins out of me or Shannon wins the series. That's and he so just good. announced that that week on the Thursday, he came out in the media, he said, if I win this series, that'll be my 10th title and I'm hanging up the togs, I'm, I'm retiring. So everyone's kind of oh. like, holy shit, he's going after it. And um, we got to the Sunday race and we I'd raced shithouse all day. Like it was a three-race eliminator. The first two races, Shannon literally like won both and I was like just scraping through got to the third race and that was winner takes the series and the two of us got out the back and we were leading like the whole field. We got into the last leg and I actually paddled away from him and I was coming in on the board and I was paddling for this wave and I just fell off the back of it. Ah, fuck, this is gone. I'm in such trouble. (laughs) He turned around, Shannon comes down the next wave on me and we had to sprint up the beach to win the series. So, I ended up getting up and got him up the beach. So I won the series and my first ever beat him. So I ended up beating him by one point, which he did to me in 2011. I did it in a sprint up the beach. Fuck, how good That's that. so good. That's bloody great TV too. That's like in yeah. the 90s when Trevor Hendy and all those. Sort of, oh, so good. Mate. Yeah. Let's let's. So you've won the series. We've heard we've had a lot of footy players on this podcast and they've all spoken about Grand Final Mad Mondays. Mate, how yeah. loose was the after party? <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I got into trouble at the after party. I, um, <laughs> Did you? I had the Ironman series after party and like, there was a lot of, um, I don't know how to word it, but I'll just say very straight, boring guys from Surf Life Saving Australia that were there. And <laughs> yeah. Like the, the big um, cup and I had it over at Northies and I'd maybe deleted like eight schooners already from the cup and stuff at North. <laughs> took it across and I got up and just made a speech and it was just horrendous. I can remember like I was so talking good. and I was like calling out Shannon in the middle of my speech and I could just see my up the back. My sister was just going like that to me going, get off the stage, get off the stage. And um, yeah, I, was, I got in a bit of trouble after that, but all good fun. Yeah, 100%. That's what it's all about, getting on the piss afterwards. Uh, no, yeah. that's fucking unreal. Uh, so after your first series win in 2016-17, you were quoted a year or so after about uh, having uh, Hatus and in Tahiti uh, to find your mojo. I had to try and find a way to get that hunger back. I'd lost that will to win, uh, to push myself, to be uncomfortable and to hurt. Uh, what took you to Tahiti and tell us about your time there and what you learned about the watermen, the Polynesians? Yeah, that was that was I guess just a really unique experience more than anything. Mm. I'd uh, partnered up, so that was a Red Bull project. Okay, yeah. And basically, yep. I was in the transition sort of part of my career where I kind of won the series, and I was like, oh, you know, it's 
fuck, it was so much hard work to get to that point to win one series. It took me 10 years. So do I bail out now? Do I keep going around? You know, you're kind of asking yourself all those questions. Um, I mean, a couple of titles are going to be bad Monday. Hang around for sure, but nothing's guaranteed. So it's hard to find that um, fire in the belly. But, um, yeah, so I... I, I we, we, we sort of pitched this project of sort of saying, all right, well, why don't you go back to like a, a grassroots sort of level? And, and it was so weird how the whole project came along because I'd done a few Tahitian events in past um, for yeah. ocean paddleboarding events. I represented Australia and actually went, um, I won the world championship over in Fiji wow. um, a couple oh, of years wow. earlier. And I also went to the ISA Games in California and I won the ISA Games um, two years in a row as well. So I had met a lot of Tahitians at those sorts of Waterman-style events. Yep. Uh, same, same, but different, I guess, sort of stuff. Obviously, Ironman racing specific to surf ice saving. Waterman stuff is sort of a, it's a combination of both prone paddle boarding and also the stand-up paddling stuff. Um, I'm pretty shitty ass at the stand-up paddling stuff. I can do it okay, but, I, yeah, not a, I'm average. But I did a lot of the prone events at those sort of stuff. And um, anyway, so... The re through, I made a lot of yeah, Tahitian friends, and it was always funny to me how the Tahitians didn't necessarily compete for money, fame, sponsorships, or anything. Mm. For them, it was just a lifestyle. They didn't, yeah. they made money or had sponsors or this, that, or the other. For them, it was, it was a lifestyle, you know, like that cultural, they grew up carving out canoes and, and vaas from like wouldn't empty empty hollow trees and whatever and they use that to fish for their village to go out and um to go be on the ocean and all these unique cool experiences so we ended up teeing up with some of the most like insane watermen ever for the project i actually met a guy called matahi Drolay. i don't know if you saw any of that chopu vision from the other week but matahi's um surf arguably the biggest wave of all time at chopu he's about i think he's about 23 or 24 super young kid wow. and just balls the size of i can't even imagine because <laughs> yeah, young kid and he's just but like he's sort of taking on on the ocean and everything like that the way he looks at it and view, views it was just like i guess it was like a real sort of humbling experience for me to go like yeah don't ever forget how lucky and fortunate you are just to be able to live out your dream and turn your passion into a career. You might not, you know, you might not be out there making the money of Tom Brady or this, that or the other, mm. but what you're doing is something that started off as a passion, a hobby. You did it for free. You did it because you loved it and you turned it into a career. So don't yeah. let money results and sponsorship ever be the overriding factor of whether you do or don't continue doing it if you lost love for it maybe sort of you know it's time to hang up the togs but if you're not you know necessarily winning races or things like that that shouldn't be the overriding um results so that was kind of i guess doing that trip was the only way i could sort of uh, summarize it is is it was just a really humbling experience for me to change my perspective on that chapter of my career and and to sort of realize no this it is a lot of fun and what i do is awesome so maybe i should appreciate it a little bit more and um yeah and i've managed to still be very the last as i said i think the last three or four years i finished seconds and thirds as well so or two thirds the last couple of years and yeah absolutely the one thing that i can um take from that little trip 
is it would have been very refreshing and it's very refreshing to hear that um like a seasoned veteran like yourself just say guys if you if you're in it for the money and the fame then you're doing it for the wrong reasons and that's yeah i think you can put that in any sport or any walk of life and um that's yeah you gotta love it otherwise don't do it that's it and it doesn't last forever you know there's gonna be a time that the retirement you ring the retirement bell and it's not something you can come back to. It's not like you go off and work an office job for five, ten years and go, fuck, that was pretty fun, the yeah, Ironman. Yeah, yeah. Or, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd probably look like the leather sultana by then. So, yeah. <laughs> Mate, I, I watched that I watched that YouTube video. Um, if For all the listeners, jump on YouTube and uh, check out the, the Red Bull, meet the Waterman of Tahiti. It's bloody fantastic. And, like, you, you – there's – footage of you riding chopu and you snap your bloody ski and then you're like yeah oh friggin hell that's where's this i'm in i'm in tahiti there's no one here like and you have to call up a bloke and you have to he manages to get you on just for the races just in time it's insane that was terrifying like i literally was just like jet lagged i'd actually come off a two-week holiday in la i was over in um Beverly Hills and I've been to Oregon with the guys from Shore and Partners. They took me on this incredible trip. We literally stayed at Beverly Hills Hotel. Then we flew up to Oregon, did some paddling in um, Hood River in the gorge there. Yeah. And it was just like, it was, it was one of the, like, it was an unreal trip. And then I flew straight back to, from LA to Tahiti and I was just super tired and um, jet lagged. And I was like, oh, I'll just go for a play on the board and I paddled out. And the next minute, I was just, I thought I was sort of at the back just cruising and this like rogue set wave came and I was like, (laughs) so big and scary. And I just remember paddling. I was like, I couldn't get under and it snapped my board. And then next minute, it snapped it clean in half like a paddle pop stick. Like I I literally had no idea. I, I, because you got to paddle from where we were staying. We're staying at the Billabong house, like right at the end of the road there, which was an awesome place. But it's still like a 10, 15-minute paddle through the lagoon before you get outside to the outer reef where Chopu is. So I was like, holy shit, I am not swimming in here. This is wild. So I'm not like just getting beached onto the reef and stuff. They're just like trying to wave people down. It was, Yeah, it was an experience. Absolutely. <laughs> so after you returned to Australia, do you feel like you had like, I know you touched on it, you had a new appreciation for the ocean and the sport. Um, and did that, did that little break... Obviously, it spurred you on because you mentioned um, you, you're hitting podiums now. Yeah, I mean, I think it just uh, oh, it's like a bit of a refresh on your um, energy yeah. back into your career. I think mm. it was like a bit of a change of perspective. I wasn't as tightly wound around if I yep. was to miss training or like a miss a session here or there or things like that. I was I had a bit more of a different outlook on the kind of racer that I wanted to be and also um, how I was going to approach my training. Yep. Don't get me wrong, I still train like bloody hard, mm. but I was a little bit more open to enjoying the spoils that sort of come with the career. You know, like when you yeah, get sure, these yeah. opportunities and you are super young, you have to make a lot of sacrifices and say, oh, you get invited to launch parties or you get invited to go on holidays or trips or this, that and the other. And you end up saying no to so many opportunities yeah. or so many things because you just can't afford to go away. And every, every session you miss is a session that your competitors kind of get up on you. And, and, and at a young age, you don't have that. Um, it's like doing your apprenticeship. You, you've got to do your time before you mm. can sort of 
make those sorts of um, calls and, and not pay, feel the sacrifice or, you know, feel yeah. the burn from it. So I guess I sort of all of a sudden then had a bit more of a different opinion. I was like, okay, I'll, I'll focus on the quality in my um, session versus the quantity. Um, I'll pick and choose my sessions. And if opportunities do come up, um, I won't be so quick to say no and I'll be a little bit more forthcoming on, you know, in, enjoying that. And I think that kind of also helps with, the, with, with racing and training and, and your career as well. Because if you're not happy, it's it's bloody hard to be an athlete and to train mm-hmm. if you're not happy and you're oh, not enjoying you. it. So, yeah. yeah, absolutely. So um, from the, the hospital bed to the surf and back again. So in 2019, you suffered from a leg infection. Required surgery, yeah. then competed 48 hours later. Jesus, you're yeah, a tough that, fucker, aren't you? That was up there. Like, looking yeah. back on it, one of the dumbest and toughest things I've probably <laughs> ever Like, I look back at it now and I was like, that was fucking You had an stupid. orthopedic surgeon work on you, mate. Yeah, tell us about, it. Tell us about that yeah. story. So I, that was, that, that's actually such a frustrating story as well because that pre-season, I actually just... Went, was perfect. Like I just normally I had so many um, trips and holidays, and I was always away, and I, I always got like a really good preseason in, but it was always different because I was with like Red Bull or you know I had other sponsors and stuff. Even Reebok, I used to go on a lot of other holidays or trips okay. or you know sponsor expectations with Reebok. I'd go to Thailand and do a lot of CrossFit sort of style stuff, and with Red Bull, I had projects whether it be Tahiti, I did one in Patagonia, and all these sorts of things so awesome. you're not going to say no to them because they're the the brands and companies that are looking after you but at the same time for the guys that just stayed back here and just went hammer and tongs you know in in the sport for you know seven days a week there was definitely an advantage for them so um mm. that that pre-season actually was it was bang on it was perfect and i um went into the season we did the cool and get a goal was the first race and i got second behind bevy and yeah. um, which is an event never thought I would do and I never thought that I would in, um, do well in because I'm not really much of an endurance racer. I mean, I am, but I'm, I, I'm, I've never considered myself or enjoyed doing the endurance racing, I guess. Mm. Um, and I got second and then I went to the Burley round and had by far probably the best race of my career where I, I won the Burley round and I won by like two minutes and 30 seconds. It was like huge. I literally had finished the the rent the race and the boys were still going out on the for their last ah, few weeks. Huge. It was I don't it was just one of those races where literally right from the it was a 45, 50 minute race. So it was quite long, but right from the first leg I managed to get pretty much my own little wave and, and every time I was going in and out I was just in a really good sink with the ocean. Every time yeah. I was going out I was getting out clean and every time I was coming in I was getting good run with the the waves and it just all kind well, one of those races that I guess all came together and, and I won by, yeah, like two minutes, 30 seconds, which was insane. And um, I was feeling so good, so fit. And we went, went into the third race and all of a sudden I literally just got this like, it was like an infected hair or an ingrown hair on my knee. Yeah. And um, it just was getting really hot and got really weird. And anyway, I ended up going to hospital and they kind of said, nah, it's nothing, it's fine. And then literally went home and 24 hours later, I went to sleep and I remember waking up and I just had full fever. I was sweating. My whole leg and knee was all swollen. I was like, this wow. is not good. Got up, went to hospital. The next minute, it was like on the, that was like the Tuesday. So we're supposed to race on that Saturday. That was on the Tuesday. And um, no, sorry, we we're racing on the Sunday. And that was on the Tuesday. Ended up staying the night in hospital on the Wednesday. And they basically got there and they did all these scans. And they said, look, you've got like an 
abscesses, like a big infection under your skin. It's just not going to go away. They put IV antibiotics into my arms for 24 hours and it was not getting smaller. In fact, it was actually looked like I had a blood infection at one point. It was uh, running up my legs, up the inside of my groin. They could see my veins were getting really um, red and protruded. So I was like, okay, you actually are going to have to get surgery and you don't really have the choice anymore because they were concerned if it was a blood infection that it's going towards your vital organs. It's quite dangerous. And um, so come Friday morning, I ended up on the operator's table and surgeon's table, went in for surgery. He literally cut straight down the front of my knee, got all the infection out, all the stuff, washed it out, cleaned it out, sterilized it. And then he glued it up the front and I asked him not to put stitches in. Uh, no, not to glue this. No, that was it. Yeah, he put stitches in, asked him to glue them because I said if I, I wanted the option of if I was feeling okay to, to try and race. And he was like, okay, I'll do that, but you won't be racing. And I'm like, okay. So we did it, and then I wake up, and I was like, 0% chance I'm racing. It was just so sore. It was gross. It was yeah. really bad. And then I got to Saturday, and I was like, oh, I'm like 70% not going to race, 30% want to race. I was just like, the the reason, it was like in, in any other scenario, I, there was no way in the world I would have raced. No, no, wouldn't have even considered it. But I was leading the series, and because I'd had a second and a first, the next closest guy was like 10 points behind me. So I kind of was in this position where I was like, fuck, I'm leading the series by 10 points, which is like insane. Like I've literally only got to get average, three more average results and I win a series. So I was like, even if I race shit at this one, it's not really going to ruin my series. And um, so I was like, I've, I've just got to go out and have a crack. Even if I got like a 10th or a 12th or, a, you know, something like that, it, it might yeah. still keep my chances alive at least. And um yeah, and, and I um so I woke up on the Sunday morning on race day and I was just like I was so scared because so I was like Yeah. It, I just knew how bad it was, but I was just trying to convince myself it wasn't. So I had my physio come down with me and he was unreal and long story short he, he, he taped up my whole knee and strapped it up and I got I couldn't paddle on my knees on my board because I couldn't bend my knee at all. It was yeah, fucking hell. So I could only paddle on my stomach, which I was fine with. It wasn't you know okay. it wasn't ideal, but that swimming was okay running was okay it was pretty sore and ski paddling was fine so we went out on the race day and they tried to stop me from racing as i said you can't race you've just had surgery and i had a a, a surgeon's note he, he wrote he signed me off and said if he you know he's fine to race it's no dramas he can't do any more damage the worst he could do is basically bust open his stitches and yeah. maybe yeah, get dirty water in there and he gets another infection like it's all not good but it's not like i'm gonna lose a limb or something yeah and um anyway i was sitting down beside bevy in the warm-up tent i was like <laughs> i'd had so many like um like the the painkillers and stuff yeah. i was like i actually don't feel too bad i think i'm i think i might be all right and i was sitting beside him and my whole knee had been bleeding out bleeding bleeding under the bandage and because i yeah. wrapped it so many times you couldn't really see and um, the skin was just super soft. And all of a sudden, they've called us up to the start line and I've gone to stand up and I felt three of the stitches just go bang, 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 straight down the oh, front. Oh, fuck. And I just screamed in front of Bevy. He was like, whoa. And I was like, oh, no, this is fucked. And I was like, and then all of a sudden, we looked down and all this blood just started running down my leg. Holy and so shit. My was like, well, that's the worst of it. You've busted them now. Like, you know, we'll, 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 we'll strap it back up. We'll go over again and it's just going to hold it there. But you've kind of half torn it already. So I strapped it up and I ended up doing the whole race. And I actually 
yeah, was with the first the first event of that day was a two and a half k soft sand run, and I oh. can remember I was running and I actually ran all right. I ended up like cause I was, as I said, I was so fit that season. Like I was so it was like one of the best I'd ever been. I ended up finishing like sixth in the run, but okay. the guy that was fifth had blood all down the back of him because I was just trying to run in his footsteps, but my knee was putting <laughs> blood up. <laughs> oh, it was so gross, and I was like, oh. But um, yeah, I, I almost pulled it off. I almost had like a top ten result. Went into the last race, and I and I was sitting in sixth overall, like going really well. We did this accumulative point score thing, and long story short, I was sitting in sixth with one race to go. But the last race was like that's where you you went off, and I took yep. off in sixth spot, and I just had to hang on. Even if I lost four places and took a tenth, I was happy, mm. and I um I just completely fell apart. I ended up like sixteenth. I was just like jacked full of like painkillers and three days come down on an yeah. IV and this that and the other and it's, oh, like yeah. it was like in that last race my whole body just completely shut down i can remember paddling and just being like delusional and that it was, so it was a bit frustrating oh, because I tried, it, didn't, it didn't pay off but it was um it was so close to i almost did as i said i almost was, was sitting in sixth going into the last race so it was straight really frustrating to to yeah straight back to hospital after that <laughs> I went back in. I had to go back in the surgery the next day, so I went back to the hospital <laughs> on Sunday morning. They had to do a second um, surgery, and it was he was so pissed because my, my surgeon is oh, he yeah. was so angry when I came out. Oh, he was. He I, when I woke up, he like just he put these full dolphin strips down the front of. There was no way I was able to move, and like it was all wrapped up. He's like, "No, nah, you're not going in the water for two weeks." Yeah. <laughs> so you didn't give me the option the second time around. Ah, Jesus so leading on from that question, I guess over your career, you've had a bit of bad luck with um, a lot of injuries. One in particular that struck my uh, attention yeah. was from an off-season. Yeah. Su- Sorry? Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, you've you had a, you yeah, you've had a yeah. one that struck me was um, it was an off-season surfing trip where you rolled your ankle which snapped two bones in the fibula, tore the ligaments down the front, yeah. and separated your ankle joint. Mate, that's pretty crook. Yeah, that, that was a that was mess. That was, <laughs> so that was an off-season trip I was doing with a bunch of my buddies. And um, yeah. there was 10 of us on a boat trip in the Mentowies for like 11 days. And it was literally, I think, like the third or fourth day. And we were at like absolutely like really bad macaronis. Um, and we were surfing, and the next the forecast was about to look so good. And um, I went out on this really shitty day. And long story short, I yeah ended up doing this sort of like turn. My front foot had rolled over, and when I landed on the board, all my weight went down into my ankle joint, but my foot oh. had rolled over. Oh, it literally just exploded. Like I remember thinking when when it happened, I just felt this like intense heat. An electric shock go up my leg. I thought my bone had pushed out the side of my leg. I thought it was like the, my leg bone, my shin bone had snapped out the side of my leg. Yeah. And I was like, I just wide in the face and I paddled over to my mate and I said, hey, mate, is my bone sticking out of my leg? And he was like, <laughs> He goes, no, it's fine. I'm like, okay, I need to get back to the boat. He goes, you don't look good. And I paddled back to the boat and I was climbing up the thing and they were all sitting on there and they, they knew it was bad because I was white in the face and my mate yeah. was yelling guys on the boat and as i stood up to went to like take a thing oh. i like lift 
my whole foot because of my ankle joint and pulled down and broken. It was just straight 180 degrees. So like, oh. you couldn't. My shin bone to my my foot was running straight down, and they were all like, "Oh fuck!" And then we knew how bad it was, and I was like, "Oh no, that's so bad." And then we sat. There. The boat ended up having to like drive us all the way back to Padang Harbour to take me to a hospital. Yeah, and I ended up in um the hospital over there. Oh, that yeah, that story was fucked as well. So I saw I some footage of you in the back of like an ambulance or something. I was yeah. like, holy crap, he looks real crook. And when we got the X-rays over in Bali, the guy's like, oh yeah, there's a small little crack there. I'll put you in a cast. It's sweet. I'm like, oh, do I need to go home? And he's like, well, you've got a broken leg here and you've got a broken leg there, like at home. He goes, you're in a cast, just nothing you can do. And I'm like, fuck, all right, I'll go sit on the boat and just like fish and drink beers with the boys. Anyway, yeah, I went back and like end up just hangs, watching the boys surfing and just being a dickhead every night and whatever else. And um, two days later, it was just getting so swollen. I was like, fuck, this is not good. It's definitely way worse than this. Yeah. And... um end up getting one of my mates who had to get back early as well i was like i need you to like wheel me home and like you know get me back on this plane and i literally landed in um long it was just an absolute mess going through the airports and stuff but i landed back in sydney and my dad drove me straight to royal north shore hospital and when i landed i was in so much pain all my toes were purple and they cut the cast off me and the surgeon literally like all right you might lose your foot here because you've had there's all nerves that run down the front of your foot and if it would if it had been like cut off from the circulation i might have lost all the feeling and, and killed all the nerves in my foot and they'd have to take it off and i was like fuck that's way worse than the crap the indonesian doctor told me and that was yeah it was really dangerous i was so lucky that i actually ended up getting full movement back in my foot it's pretty much it's about 85 90 percent now like i've it's still yeah a few aches and pains but yeah just a little crack. Yeah, he told me it was a little crack and I ended up being, I think, two surgeries, six pins and an ankle <laughs> plate and everything in my in my foot. Fucking hell. And what was the recovery like for that? A lot more. Like how, how long did it take you to recover? How long did it take you to recover? That one? So I did that literally right after and I only just came good by November. So it ended up being about five or six months. Shit! Wow! Fucking hell! And did you have a did you have a lot of head yeah. noise like coming yeah. back from it? Did, did yeah. you have a lot yeah, of head noise? I, yeah, I kind of knew that I. Yeah, like yeah. mum and dad were telling me to come straight back when I was there, and I was finding them. I'm like, hey, I've seen going to hospital. He said it's a crack in the you know in the fibula. It's, there's not much I can do. I've got a cast on. I'll just sit there and make the most of the trip anyway, and I'll drink the beers that I've paid for already, and. uh <laughs> That uh, it, two days later, it just got so bad. I was just like throbbing my foot. My toes were all super swollen and stuff. I've got yeah, it was wild. Oh, so when Jesus I when Christ. I flew back, it was like one of those situations where I was like trying not to think about it because I was like, oh no, I know this is really bad. And as soon as I landed and the doctor saw it at Royal North Shore Hospital, they were like, he was just shaking his head. He was like, what were you thinking? You should have come straight back. Oh, were, no. were all the boys getting around you like because um, obviously yeah it's 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 crap for like a professional sportsman to like go down injured mm. but like there's a bit of there's dark days in those times isn't there yeah for sure i 
there was a huge there are oh, there was months where i honestly thought that i was like never going to be able to run again because with our sport as you can imagine running on the sand is such a like a yep. variable sort of surface it's yep. not it's it's constantly moving especially with all the wading that we do in the the water's edge and stuff and there's potholes and things like that mm. so we're always like you've got to have really really flexible feet but also very very strong feet so you know, it's not like a, a hundred meter track where you've got shoes on and you're running on the same consistent surface the whole way. Like we're constantly looking out for potholes or, you know, yeah. like all sorts of like moving, sinking sand, shit like that. It's hard to sort of explain, but yeah. So when I first came out of that surgery, um, I had six pins and the plate put in there and my foot was just basically screwed shut at 90 degrees. And they left that yeah. for maybe a month or six weeks from memory. And then I had to get a second surgery. And they said, right, when you get um, the second surgery, you should be able to move your foot reasonably well. But then over time, you'll, you'll get it back. And I wake up from the second surgery and I honestly could not move my foot at all. And I remember the doctor, surgeon was like, yeah, fuck, it might not get much better than this. He's like, you can stretch it and do everything. But, you know, and also when we're doing the board paddling and we're on our knees, you, you're kind of sitting back on your heels when you're popping weights yeah. and stuff. So if your yeah, foot yeah, yeah, yeah. is bolted at like, you know, 90 degrees, you can't have one foot up like that and then the other one flat. So it's, um, there were so many things like board paddling on my knees and running and waiting was looking like I was never going to be able to do that, not even remotely competitive again. So there was definitely a few months there where I thought um, my career was well and truly done and dusted or the best of my career anyway. Fucking hell. So, so as a professional athlete, um, diet is a big thing. Like, oh, I enjoy, you know, chocolate and all that sort of shit. Yeah, me too. Um, now, what, yeah, I love a beer too. So, what, what's your diet like? Um, yeah, it's pretty flexible these days. Yeah, I, yeah, um, yeah. I got a massive. So, so Tammy, Tammy's always working out sheets. So, clean and healthy and she hates i'm always like literally hiding chocolate in the fridge and <laughs> she, she's got a sweet she's just way more disciplined and eat, yeah. she can just not eat it. but if i've got it there in front of her then she gets the shits and i just enjoy eating it so I, um, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a balancing act so she's got yeah. a really healthy diet and, and she cooks a, a lot of nights which is unreal and so yeah. i'm eating Mostly, I would definitely, I always like to think Monday to Friday, I eat re really clean and healthy. I'm eating good mm. foods. And then on the weekend, I'm way more relaxed. If I'm out, going out for dinners with mates, eating pizza, burgers, whatever it is, drinking beers, it's fine. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. Get the majority of it right. Definitely while you're training and stuff, it's like yeah. we, when you're doing so much um, volume in your training and endurance stuff that we do do, it doesn't have to be super clean and healthy because you're just looking for calories. Sometimes having a pizza and stuff like that is just good fats and carbs and your body's yep. just eating it all up because we're, we're burning so much more than we can actually put, put in for fuel. So um, we, we're pretty fortunate with the, the harder we are training, we actually don't have to be super picky with our diets, but like anything, the better the fuel you put in, the better your body's going to get out. Yeah, so sure. yeah. uh, I always yeah, I mean, I've tried all sorts of weird, wacky little diets over the years, but now I just try and eat eat healthy, you know, sort of Monday to Friday, and then on a weekend do do whatever I want. Mm, happy days. So, so, how have you changed as an athlete since you first debuted to now? Obviously, a lot more experienced. Um, yeah, yeah, lots. lots I think um, yeah, it's like a constant every year. You, you trial trial and error. 
um, things with your craft, your racing, what works for you, warm-up, recovery, hydration, nutrition. Everything's consistently changing, evolving, but also you're adapting. So, um, I mean, as a young kid, I reckon the first five years I was, I was definitely fitter than what I've been the last five years but I didn't yeah. have a head on my shoulders. I didn't have the confidence. I didn't, uh, actually, I wouldn't say confidence. I wouldn't say that I had the, the experience under my belt to, to sort of know when, how to sort of use other people around you and also how to sort of win races. I think yeah. when you're young, you just go like a bull at a gate, but you also make a lot of silly, dumb errors. And that's where you see your, your greats sort of stand up in clutch moments, whether that be your Michael Phelps's, your Tom Brady's, yeah. um, LeBron's. They just know what to do at the right time when it counts the most. And that's something you very few, I'd say almost no one gets in their first two or three years in just about any professional sport. You always see the best ones are the ones that work it out the earliest, you know what I mean? But most yeah. really good athletes work it out towards the middle to back end of their career for sure. Absolutely. So, can you tell us about the Molokai to Oahu Paddleboard Championship? I mean, as I said previously, you did win that event in 2014. Is that has that been an off-season tradition of yours um, for a while, or and what other challenges do you do in the off-season? Um, and have you got any coming up? Yeah, that that was something that first came about because I obviously just loved loved Hawaii, loved paddleboard racing, the ocean paddle paddle racing, and um, had a really good opportunity to go over and do it with Red Bull and and through uh, another project I did in Red Bull once. We went to Patagonia in South America and I did that with a guy called Kai yep. Lenny and Ian Walsh, who are two big wave surfers from Maui. And Kai was a famous waterman and used to do the Molokai race on the SUP every year. So I ended up going over to Maui and training with him for two weeks and then we went over and did the Molokai race. I initially just thought it'd be something super fun, a good holiday something to do in my off-season, but also keeps me active and, and still, I guess, delivering and, and staying relevant for your brands yeah. and companies and sponsors. And as I sort of said before, like brands like Red Bull love you to be a 12-month-of-the-year athlete, not just a summer three- or four-month-of-the-year athlete. So um, doing events like that, they just loved it. And it was so sort mm. of up their alley, you know. So um, that was why, you know, I was always trying to, like, test myself in, um, you know, I was always a good runner, swimmer, board paddler and ski paddler, but I was looking for other events that that could cross over in some way and, and still be good at. So the, the ocean paddleboarding event, the boards are completely different, but it's still paddling, if that makes sense. So, yeah, yeah. How far uh, was it? Yeah. Uh, it's 55 kilometres. You paddle. Oh, mate. What? You start, fly over the day before to Molokai. Yeah. And you, every... Adler has to have a support boat go with them, like a, a caddy for yeah. your drinks and hydration. So there's about four or five hundred starters, and then there's four or five hundred boats. So it's it's wild. It's one of the most like insane sort of like races. It's so much fun. I, I still love that event, love that race. But yeah, in 2014, I had a few cracks at it and had a few thirds. And then in 2014, I ended up finally winning it. And then I had one more go at it after that, and I finished third again. And then I actually haven't been back to do it again since because it's just, well, batshit crazy. It's just so tough, yeah, so yeah, hard. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I do know. love that. Right? I love that event. I'd love to go back and do it. 50 days. I don't know how to do it. 
Mm, absolutely. Mate, so middle of a pandemic, you open a you open your business, Mom and Bar. Is it Mom and Mom and Bar and Kitchen in Burley Heads in Queensland? How, how bloody good. Yeah. So, awesome. So has food always been a passion of yours? And how did that come about, buddy? Um, one of my good mates, Ollie Frost, is sort of he's a bit of a business hustler. He, he does his own music festivals. Um yeah, okay. he's done a bunch of music festivals up here in Queensland. And basically when we went into COVID, the whole music scene shut down. So he was like, right, let's let's open up a restaurant. Um his mum and Arnie are actually chefs from up in Port Douglas and they had a Marmo restaurant up there and they had the menu and everything sort of done. Um, we've got nothing to do with the Port Douglas one. All he does and his, his family, but yep. I'm I'm specific in the Burley one. And he sort of said, yeah, you know, let's give this a crack in in the middle of COVID and see how we go. And we just, yeah, everything kind of just went really well. The whole layout and fit out of the restaurant is really unique and cool. Um, one of Ollie's really good mates is a super famous artist called Jai Bassacher, and yep. he did the all the artwork in our restaurant, which made it super, um, just really really cool and unique and, and we just ended up with this crazy cool venue and um it's it's been flying it's wild it's um i mean we yeah it looks amazing if you jump on instagram it's fantastic but, yeah so that that's been really cool and that was just something i mean i kind of came in as a silent partner i'm definitely not in there behind the bar or in the mm. kitchen thankfully but um <laughs> you know, the other side of the bar in there everything go in and we're going for a wine and platter and going for the um i feel it carpaccio or the lamb dish it's um it's it's really good it's nice we've got a good team there fucking hell how good's that so mate let's talk love your partner partner tammy how'd you meet her (laughs) (laughs) uh i actually met tammy in 2019 we were over at finn's beach club for it was like their third birthday party and they flew a bunch of um people over so i took my best mate over with they flew me over and i took my best mate with me whitey and they flew over alex volkanovsky the good mate of um both mine and whitey's he was there he's a ufc fighter and they also flew they flew a bunch over but also had tammy he took one of her best friends as well so we were kind of over there at the start of this launch party and um yeah, I mean, she's kind of caught my eye and I'd had a few <laughs> Mai Tais by the pool and I think I invited her to come over and chat with me. And yeah, yeah. So we, we hit it off that night, which was fun. And then we went our separate ways, both living on the Gold Coast, but had nothing in common really. And um, we had a couple of uh, friends of ours ended up, uh, are really good friends of Tammy's as well. So they sort of um, reintroduced us maybe six months or 12 months down the track. And yeah, yeah she just fell madly in love with me. <laughs> oh, how good that? I can't blame her. You can't blame yeah, her. You, know, you are, you are a good sort, her. you know. Bloody good that, sort. But, yeah. Well, Pooley, um, thanks so much for coming on. Um, we really appreciate you being a good sport and um, giving up the time to come on. So, mate, thank you so much. You've been a legend, oh, thank mate. Thank you. It's been fun. Thanks for listening to another episode of the official Big Stiff podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Hey, um, Scotty, you there, mate? Yeah, mate, I'm here. Uh, You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Just type in at the Big Stiff Podcast and you should find us there. Okay.
Thanks. Bye, guys.